2 Peter chapter 3. And I'll be reading uh, verses 14 through verse 18. 2 Peter 3, beginning at verse 14. Once again, listen now to the reading of God's holy word. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, without spot and blameless. And consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of things, of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction, as they do also the rest of the Scriptures. You therefore, beloved... Since you know this beforehand, beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. Seek the Lord's blessing on this His holy word. O gracious God in heaven, we rejoice and give thanks to you, Father, for for the blessing of your word and the truth that is for us our only infallible truth for faith and life that leads us and guides us, opens up the doors of salvation to us, opens our heart and our eyes to see the truth. And so we just pray, Father, that your spirit would truly be with us this evening as we consider these words, as we consider this subject that you would especially help us to be diligent students of your word and to study your word that we might better understand the truth that you have for us. And so we pray now for your blessing upon our time together. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Well, if we were going to, if we're going to uh, read the scriptures... Well, we need to interpret or understand them in order for them to make sense in our lives. Because if we can't understand the Scriptures, then we won't be able to apply them to our lives, and we won't be able to grow in grace and knowledge of the truth. And since the Bible contains all that we need to know for faith and life, well, then it's pretty important that we seek to understand the Bible. And this is Peter's admonition to his readers here in, in Second Peter, uh, in, in this letter of Second Peter. Back in chapter 1, <clears throat> verse 19, he says, And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. He's telling them that they would do well to read and understand and heed the Word of God because they need to be grounded in the truth and be able to defend against false teaching that was already beginning to creep into the church. And he warns about this then later in chapter 2, verse 1. He says, But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them. So the people don't understand the word of God and its truth, when well, they will fall prey to these false teachers 
and their destructive doctrines. And so Peter urges them to be diligent in grasping the truth of God given to them and conforming their lives to godliness as they wait the day of Christ's return, when they will be, in verse 14, chapter 3, verse 14, be found by him in peace without spot and blameless. And that is the goal of sanctification that we get from reading and studying and understanding the scriptures and applying them to our lives. So what they need to know about salvation and godliness, of course, has been revealed to them in the word. And then Peter goes on to commend to them the letters of the Apostle Paul, equating Paul's words and his own with the word of God. And he does this a few times throughout uh, this letter, since their words were not just their own words, but they were words given to them by the Spirit of God. But Peter makes an important admission here in chapter 3, verse 16. Speaking of Paul's letters, he writes, speaking in in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction, as they do also the rest of the Scriptures. And so Peter acknowledges that they are some things Paul writes which are hard to understand. That is, they're uh, not easy to interpret. And if they're uh, if they're not understood well, then they can be easily misused and taken out of context to be distorted, as some do with many other portions of the Scriptures. And as he's warning that these false teachers will do as well. So here's the problem that we want to address uh, this evening. If there are parts of the Bible that are hard to understand, How do we gain understanding so that we truly might, in verse 18 here, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? And so let's consider then how we can better understand God's Word so that it's truly beneficial to us. But the first key to understanding God's Word is having a translation of the Bible that's in our own language. Remember that the Old Testament was written in Hebrew and the New Testament uh, was written in Greek. These are what we call the original languages in which God was pleased to have His Word written down. And the first copy of these, that is the original documents that were actually written by Moses, by the prophets and the apostles, we call these the autographs. And it's these that are said to be immediately inspired by God. Now, of course, we no longer have these autographs with us, but we do have many thousands of copies of them. And these copies are often referred to as manuscripts. And there are more manuscripts, this is one of the amazing things, there are more manuscripts available of the Scriptures than there are for any other ancient literature, whether it's one of the the, uh, the ancient Greek poets or uh, any other uh, ancient literature. We have more manuscripts of the scriptures than we do some uh, all those um, all those other ancient writers. And one Bible, Bible scholar notes that until 1947, the oldest Hebrew text that we had <clears throat> was dated around A.D. 850. But since the disco- discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls, we now have <clears throat> manuscripts of almost all the Old Testament books 
dating from around 100 BC. So that's just 100 years before the birth of Christ. Now the amazing thing about this is that these are virtually the same as the underlying texts of the Bibles of today and what we had uh, before the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered. And so that the authenticity of the scriptures was actually strengthened by this discovery of these Dead Sea Scrolls. The New Testament, we have over 5,000 manuscripts. And of course, within those manuscripts, there are, there are over 150,000 variations representing 10,000 places in those scriptures. Now that may seem like a lot, but most of those fall into the category of spelling mistakes and, and other trivial matters and that were made in the copying of the text. And so they're not really variant readings at all. And we, so when you think about variant readings or when you read in your marginal notes of the, your Bibles and it talks about a variant readings, well, there's a lot of times they're just very minor uh, differences. And so with only very slight differences between these various manuscripts, again, it's, it's pretty amazing how God has preserved His Word, especially when you consider the sheer number of manuscripts that are available today. And so confirming the truth of God's word through Isaiah the prophet, that the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. And so we know that God's word has truly been preserved. But can you imagine a time when the Bible was actually in existence, but it wasn't in a language that most people could understand? Now, this may be hard for us to realize, especially, especially now as we uh, think about even in our own homes. Uh, we probably have several uh, Bibles, uh, and there's an overabundance really of, of Bibles, uh, translations in the English language alone. But that wasn't always the case, and we often take that for granted. One of the great blessings of the Reformation was really this, the distribution of God's Word not just to uh, to the, the the upper class and and to the educated and to the uh, to the ecclesial class that is the church class, but just to the common people. At the time of the Reformation, there were Greek and Hebrew manuscripts, but there was also a Latin translation called the Vulgate, uh, done by Jerome, who lived around in the early fifth century. And so the Latin Vulgate was the official version used by the Roman Catholic Church. And in 1546, the Council of Trent, which was Rome's initial response to the Reformation, the Council declared that the Latin Vulgate to be the authentic text, and that no one is to dare or presume to reject it under any pretext whatsoever, because obviously Luther had written, uh, translated the Bible into German, and, uh, and others began translating the Bible into other languages by that point. Well, since the Vulgate was a translation from the 5th century, though, obviously it could not be the authentic text. And so not only was the Vulgate promoted as the only text, but Latin of course, was a language that was only known to the highly educated. And it was the language of the church at the time. And so if you went to a service uh, at that time, the, the priest, uh, the bishop, whoever was leading it, spoke in Latin. And if you were not educated, then you had no idea 
what he was actually saying. And so most of the common people certainly couldn't read and understand it for them, the Bible for themselves. In fact, it was illegal for people to possess a copy of the Bible in the common language without a license granted by the local bishop. But the Reformers believed that the Scriptures must be in the hands of the people. And so the Westminster Confession notes in chapter 1, paragraph 8, but because these original tongues are not known to all the people of God, who have right unto an interest in the Scriptures, and are commanded in the fear of God to read and search them, Therefore they are to be translated into the vulgar language of every nation unto which they come, <clears throat> that the word of God dwelling plentifully in all, they may worship him in an acceptable manner, and through patience and comfort of the scriptures, that they may have hope. And so by translating the scriptures into the vulgar or the common language, well, that was a dangerous business. And we know that many early reformers, such as John Wycliffe and William Tyndale, lost their lives because they dared to print and publish the Scriptures in the common language of the people. The Apostle Paul reminds us in Romans 10, saying, <clears throat> How then shall they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in Him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Well, it might be added, how can they hear and believe if they do not understand in their own language? If what is being heard and proclaimed is not in the language that they know. What was the Word of God being read and understood by the common people that gave strength to the Reformation movement? Because people began to read for on their own and they began to realize that what was happening in their local church was not what the scriptures uh, were teaching. And of course, because of that, then the Reformation movement and the Word of God went into many different lands. And thankfully, because of this, today the Bible is now available in thousands of languages and more and more are being added to that number every year. So what a great privilege and an honor we have to have the Bible in our own language, and even in a variety of translations in just one language. And certainly, this should be reason that we should study it all the more earnestly, because our forefathers did not have such a great privilege. And though we're very thankful for translations, though, we must remember that translations are not immediately inspired by God as the original autographs are. Now this doesn't make uh, the Bible as we have it in any less authoritative because as we noted, it's still very accurate so that we can truly call it the inerrant, infallible word of God. There's no reason to doubt the authority and the authenticity of the Bibles that we use today. I mentioned that there are about uh, over 5,000 Greek manuscripts in the New Testament, and it's agreed by all scholars, whether they're liberal or conservative, that 98% of the New Testament text is beyond dispute. And the other 2%, where there's any real question, really has no effect on the certainty of any uh, faithful Christian doctrine, regardless of the manuscript tradition. And so again, though there may be differences uh, in some of those manuscripts, um, they really they have no impact on the overall uh, teaching and the message of the scriptures. 
But the question now is, how do we interpret the scriptures so that we can understand them? We have them in our own language, so how do we then interpret them so that we can understand them? And Paul charges Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, saying, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not heed to be ashamed, who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So how do we rightly divide the truth so that we can understand it as we read it and as we study it on our own? Well, first, <clears throat> we have to understand that the scriptures are uh, per- perspicuous. So what does that mean? Well, ironically, when we speak of the perspicuity of the scriptures, we're speaking about the plainness and the clarity of its teaching. Now, of course, you would think that theologians would have just said clarity instead of perspicuity, but, of course, that probably would have just been too clear. (laughs) Scriptures are clear, and they are understandable. But as we saw with Peter's comment about Paul's letters, not all passages in Scripture are equally clear. There's some that are easy to understand, some that are more challenging to understand. <clears throat> and so if we need to understand the Bible, but we can't because all things are not clear, well then what are we to do and how are we to nurture our growth in grace and knowledge of the truth? Well, here are a few things that we can keep in mind. First, We need to first understand that all that we need to know for salvation in Jesus Christ, God has made clearly known in the scriptures so that even a child can understand. A child can understand the truth of the gospel, that there is sinner and that Jesus died for sinners and that if they believe on him, they will be saved. And this is really the key point of perspicuity because the eternally essential stuff is very clear. Again, the Westminster Confession of Faith in in chapter 1, paragraph 7, affirms this, noting, Yet those things which are necessary to be known, believed, and observed for salvation are so clearly prepondered and opened in some place of of Scripture or other that not only the learned but the unlearned, in a due use of the ordinary means, may attain unto a sufficient understanding of them. So, of course... They're writing this at a time when now they had the scriptures in the old language. So you get that stumbling block of language barrier removed. Well, now anybody can understand the basic doctrine of salvation. And we find this clarity of essential truth. For example, uh, the psalmist in Psalm 119 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. God's word is a light. It's the light leading the way that we should walk and it's very clear. Right? A light makes things clear so that we can see. And even how we should walk in truth and holiness, God has made known to us. Micah 6, 8, He has shown you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Again, God has clearly shown us that we must, how, well, that we, what we must know about salvation. He has shown us how we can live a godly life. Right? Even Again, even children can understand the, the Ten Commandments and how we are to please God by obeying His Word. Well, secondly, for all the other stuff that isn't necessary for salvation, we're thankful that God has given us teachers and preachers. Paul 
says in Ephesians 4, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now, certainly I'll be the first to admit that teachers and preachers don't know everything else that there is to know. But the reason, of course, that we go to seminary and that we uh, learn and study the Scriptures is to gain the skills necessary so that we can dig a little deeper, uh, not only to gain understanding, but then also to be able to share with the people of God so that you may grow and may be edified. And it truly is an awesome responsibility that ought not to be taken lightly. And so what we absolutely need to know is clear, and the rest of what we need to know can easily be explained to us through a faithful servant of the Lord. But there are still other things, things that even though they're revealed in the Scriptures, are simply hard to understand. And in fact, some things are just great mysteries that we'll never understand in this life. Again, since the Bible is God's revelation, we remember in Isaiah 55, verse 8, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. God thinks and acts on a different plane than we do. He's infinite and we're finite. So there's no way that we can fully understand the great mysteries of God. And one of Paul's hard things to understand, he didn't even fully understand. In Ephesians 5, verse 32, he says, This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. And of course, the context there, Paul has been speaking about marriage between a man and a woman, uh, and saying that this is a picture of the union between, between Christ and the church. Well, there's much about that union that we don't understand, that Paul didn't understand, because it's a great mystery. And not although, although we're given insight a little bit into that mystery, we're not able to discern the full depths and breadths of it, because it is beyond our capabilities. Well, as we strive, <clears throat> though, to gain an understanding of Scripture... And interpret it, whether you're the pastor, the teacher, the person in the pew. There's a rule that we're given to help us understand even some of the more difficult passages. And this is the rule of faith. Or you may know it by the phrase that we interpret Scripture by Scripture. The Confession calls this an infallible rule of interpretation. Obviously because of the Word of God is infallible and it's used to interpret itself, well then indeed it is an infallible rule of interpretation. In chapter 1, paragraph 9, the Confession notes, Therefore, when there is a question about the true and full sense of any Scripture, which is not manifold but one, it must be searched and known by other places that speak more clearly. Well, first of all, here we discover that there is one true meaning or interpretation of the scriptures. And so if you're debating someone who may have a very different interpretation of a passage, well, there really are only three options. Either you are right in your interpretation, or maybe they're right in their interpretation, or you're both wrong, and there's another interpretation that you don't know yet. 
logically, two opposing interpretations cannot be correct. Uh, and of course, this is much of the, to the chagrin of modern liberal relativistic scholars who like to point out various contradictions. But the apostles remind us that with these words of the prophets agree. And so there's a unity to the truth of God's word and to his message of his scriptures. Well, secondly, if there's a passage of scripture that is particularly difficult and hard to understand, well, then we need to look and we need to search for for other passages that speak to the same issue in order to gain understanding. And so when Peter instructs in 2 Peter 1, saying, Knowing this first, that no prophecy of scriptures of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they are moved by the Holy Spirit. He's basically saying that we can't just go in and make up an interpretation on our own. That we must seek what God has to say about it in His Word. And then thirdly, if we're trying to understand a difficult passage, we should not just go to another difficult passage in order to understand it. Now we start with those passages that are clear, and then we can, once we gain an understanding of those clearer passages, then we move to those that are less clear. And so there's a progression as we seek to study the Scriptures, and hopefully as we do that, we will gain insight into those difficult passages. And this final important uh, point is actually very important. Because to grow in grace and knowledge of the truth, you ought not to start with the book of Revelation or the prophet Daniel. And sadly, many who first become Christians, that's what they want to dive into. And both of these books contain prophetic passages that are hard to understand. And there indeed may be some connection between the two, but it's it's best to start with what is easier to understand. And so you shouldn't recommend people to read Revelation or, or Daniel, but encourage them to read the Gospels or to read other books in the Old Testament that help give you a sense of God's working His redemptive plan out in history before then tackling the difficult prophetic passages. It's also important that when you're studying a passage... Again, before you go jumping to other passages and other books to gain understanding, actually the place that you should begin is the context of the passage that you're studying. I once heard a, a preacher on the radio begin a message on First Thessalonians, and you know, First and Second Thessalonians, I often refer to them as as Revelation light. And so there's some challenging stuff to understand there. But, but anyway, he, he begins a message on 1 Thessalonians, but no sooner had he actually read the passage in 1 Thessalonians, well, then he was off to, to Daniel and then Ezekiel to draw out some explanation. But he never actually dealt with his original passage. He just used Thessalonians as a springboard to jump back on his pet doctrines. And certainly you can get a lot of crazy ideas from that kind of practice by just jumping from one place to another without considering the context of each passage. The RP Testimony, uh, chapter 1, paragraph 19, says this, In interpreting the Bible, consideration must be given to the historical situation in which the passage was written, to the grammatical structure, and to to the literary form. 
the instruction and counsel of fellow believers, of teachers of the word and creeds and confessions of the church should be given due consideration. And so this is what is often referred to as the grammatical historical means of interpretation. And so again, you don't just take a verse and go with it. You study first the larger context of the verse, at least uh, going a chapter before and maybe a chapter as after, if not just doing an overview of the whole book itself. And then you consider the grammar and the, the literary form of the book. Is it, is it poetry? Is it history? Is it gospel? Is it prophecy? Because you would interpret those passages uh, differently in each, in each context. And then you consider the historical context. Right? What was the author's intended meaning of the orig- uh, to the original audience? How would that original audience have first understood those words? What was going on historically at the time of the writing? And then you consult church history, through the creeds and the confessions and through theologians and faithful the- theologians and commentators. And so that's the preferred method of, of interpretation. And it truly safeguards against any new interpretations that may be questionable. And that's one of the things, one of the great dangers, is somebody has a new take, a new perspective on the scriptures, well then more often than not, it's a heretical perspective that has merely been lost for a time and is now uh, resurging. Because nothing is new when it comes to the scriptures. (coughs) But then, once you have gained an understanding of Scripture through the illumination of the Holy Spirit and good study habits, and again, I should have mentioned the the Holy Spirit. You can't do any of this without the help and the assistance of the Holy Spirit because it's the Holy Spirit in us that helps us to understand. And we pray for the Lord to have His Spirit go with us and to make his word fruitful in us to give us wisdom and understanding and insight into his word and so when we do gain that understanding of the scriptures and we use the good steady habits well then remember that we must also put what we learn into practice right we don't just sit on it we don't just uh, study the word of god to accumulate knowledge no we we have to use it and put it to practice in our lives and use it to conform us and to fashion us after the likeness of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We must earnestly seek to obey God's word once we understand it. And indeed, we're not merely to be just hearers and learners of God's word, but we're to be doers. And again, all this so that we can truly draw near the, that goal of Christ-likeness, growing in the grace of and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Gracious God in heaven, we again praise you and thank you for your word, and we thank you for your spirit that truly gives us understanding and insight to the truth of your word. And Lord, we pray that you would equip us to be faithful students of your word and to use some of these practical applications to be able to understand more and what we may already understand, and how we can understand more difficult passages by studying the easier passages, and how we can rely upon your Spirit to be guided according to your truth. And so we just pray, Father, that your Word, which is life to us, it is our, our, our life bread that we must feed upon daily, 
We pray that you would give us great understanding so that as we study your word, we'll be able to protect ourselves from false teaching and false doctrine, but we will also especially be drawn closer and closer to that perfect image of the Lord Jesus Christ as we conform ourselves to the truth of your word as it's revealed to us. And so we just pray, Father, that you would truly bless us in this. And we thank you for, uh, for this congregation of your people that has a great love for the truth of your word. And Lord, we take it for granted often. And we know that there are many, many who are sitting in churches all over the place who, who really don't have your word, who don't understand it, who don't apply it to their lives. And so we just pray, Father, that you would help us and equip us to be faithful witnesses of this truth, that others may also come to, to know how to understand the truth of your word and to be led to Christ and salvation by the power of your spirit. And so we just pray for your blessing upon us now as we go into this week that lies ahead. We pray that you would be equipping us and challenging us in these things and that you would watch over us and bless us until we return again on the next Lord's day. We pray all these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.